Hello, everybody, and welcome to what is unbelievably episode 77 of the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. My name's David Lloyd, and I'm here with my two good buddies to talk about all things financial. Good buddy number one, introduce yourself. Which one's that? Well, you have to out there. You're going who's, to have to who's your favourite? the pecking order in which <laughs> your... you feel that you sit within this organisation. Tom, after you, you're clearly his favourite. I know that. <laughs> well, I'll take that, gladly. Uh, Tomo, I am a Charter Financial Planner and Director over at Ovation Finance in Bristol, where I do financial planning as a day job. And then I also do some stuff with the Initiative for Financial Wellbeing, where I am also a director. So, yeah, there's a little bit about me. Father of two, tired, but uh, yes. Um, overall contented man. Teething baby, is that right? Teething baby, yes. Oh, so if I'm a little days. bit groggy this morning, you now understand. But uh, yeah, it's just, this this too shall pass. It's all right. In 32 years' time, they'll come to you and say, give me lots of money to buy a house. And you will. <laughs> the pain never stops. <laughs> Chris, who are you then? Who are you? So Chris Budd, I wrote the Financial Wellbeing book and I... Write novels, so latest novel, Vanishing Point Out, always be closing. Doing very well, got some really good reviews, got a really nice review this morning actually from somebody uh, for that, so that's cool. And uh, I'm also a little bit groggy this morning because I have a wife who had her best friend around to stay uh, last night and they were up to half past two in the morning outside the bedroom window talking and drinking wine, so I'm also a little bit groggy. Excellent. Well, I'm not that groggy at all actually, I have to say. Uh, Who are um, you, David? Uh, sorry, yes, I'm David Lloyd. I'm... Uh, a writer, a broadcaster, an actor, and uh, uh, recently retired, actually, but we'll come on to more of that uh, a little bit later in the Titus Tomo tips. But yeah, so I've just moved into a new house, which is really, really nice. That's probably my big news. So I'm not groggy, but I am physically very tired because I've spent the last few weeks packing boxes, moving boxes, unpacking boxes. But, you know, the joys of moving into a new house and getting it set up. Been here nearly two weeks now. And it's starting very, very slowly to come together. But I reckon we've got about half the boxes unpacked so far. And the regulars on the podcast will be interested to know the scenes when you were moving from one house in the village to the other house in the village, when we had 300 people in a long line, all passing boxes between them as that saving removal costs. It was an amazing day, wasn't it? If only that was true. What actually <laughs> happened was we moved on the day of the England-Germany game. Of course, that kicked off at five o'clock. So I had like eight guys in two huge vans came to my house at 10 o'clock in the morning, loaded up all my stuff. They'd done it by one o'clock and they drove the half a mile to the new house. And I said, don't worry, I'll get the keys very soon. So at quarter past three, I finally get the keys, let them in. You've never seen furniture vans unloaded so quickly. because <laughs> Clearly, they, they all wanted to get off and watch the football. And it got to just before five o'clock and it was all done, but they hadn't quite been able to get everything in. So they'd left some stuff on the drive of my old house because the new people were moving in. And uh, they said, oh, we've got to go now because the driver's allocated all his time. He can't do any more. And I said, guys, you, there's still some stuff on the drive of my previous house. And they said, oh, we'll come and pick that up tomorrow. I said, but it might rain tonight. There's paintings and stuff out there. And in the end, I managed to cajole some of them. And I said, look, I'll come with you. I said, I can't expect you to miss the first half of the football. <laughs> so I had to go with them to pick up the rest of my stuff, bring it back. We got it offloaded uh, and, and off they went. Uh, and then the, 
at four o'clock the following morning, I woke up in a cold sweat because our house garage was full of boxes. And I realized that my partner's Gail's stuff, because we were moving in together, was being delivered that day. And we didn't have anywhere to put it. <laughs> so I then had to kind of reorganize the garage. And, and eventually they we got everything in. And now we're slowly trying to work out how to fit two houses into one. And it's a logistical challenge, but a very enjoyable one. Who's winning that battle? Well, let's say I am somebody that likes to plan ahead and likes to generally have a plan in life. So because I'd lived in my previous house for 25 years, uh, I had been gradually clearing it, going into the loft, throwing out a hell of a lot of historical stuff that didn't really need keeping. So I pretty much everything that I brought was stuff that I felt that I needed, although I have subsequently thrown some out. Uh, Gail is very much a last-minute person. So Does she listen to this podcast? <laughs> she may well do, and she would acknowledge this herself, I think. <laughs> uh, and so, therefore, she ended up bringing a lot of her... I want to say crap. I'm not sure I can say crap. So I'm going to say historical legacy items with her. That we've AKA had crap. With. Yes. And let's just say that I'm now on first-name terms with the guys at the local tip. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. But it's great. It's it's you know it's something we've been talking about and planning for a while, and now we've finally done it. And, and it's a lovely house. You, you guys must come round and uh, see for yourself. Absolutely. Help me unpack some boxes. Absolutely. Well, I'm delighted to hear that it's gone well because I know yeah. we've talked about it for quite some time now, yeah. and um, it's exciting. I, I've seen some pictures of your view. Um, oh. uh, yes, it's Jealous. great. And, and I subsequently discovered at a because I'm also on the parish council for my sins. And we had a planning meeting the other day with the North Somerset planners talking about potential future development in Backwell. <laughs> and I've realised that the two lovely fields at the back of my house, which are greenbelt, I'm glad to say, have actually been earmarked by developers for future building. But I don't think that's ever actually going to happen. So that's uh, that not, not as long as you're on the parish council. <laughs> so, so I'm sorry, who here has automatically thought when you heard parish council... You have no authority here, David Lloyd. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I, I've never had authority on this podcast. I just waffle on. Anyway, I'm sure, delightful though we find it, people haven't tuned in to hear about the vicissitudes of my house move. So let's crack on with the podcast. I just want to go back, Chris, because you mentioned the financial wellbeing book. And I think it's worth mentioning at this point that that's a book, of course, all the proceeds of that go to the Penny Braun Cancer Charity. And I think that's a point that perhaps we could... You know, we can never emphasise often enough, really, uh, because, A, it's a really interesting book and it's formed the cornerstone of all the podcasts that we've done over the years, all 77 of them, but also it raises money for a very good charity. So I just wanted to say that. Again, um, I, can I just mention, it's all the proceeds. It's not even profit. Ovation paid for that book to be produced and it's the well, every penny that comes in from the sale of it goes to Penny Braun. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thanks for the clarification. Right. What's on today's podcast, Chris? Well, I just you've teed this up very nicely because we're going to talk about motivation. We're going to talk about self-determination theory, which is a psychological theory about what motivates us to do things. And maybe later on, we'll bring back whether giving removal men a deadline of five o'clock to go and watch a European Cup football match is a perfect motivation for them. That's a really good example, actually. So we're going to be applying it to various financial decisions we make through our lives, self-determination theory and motivation. Brilliant. Now let's go on to the probably most important. This is this is an item that, that's passed into legend. It, it's something that I think people tune into the podcast for. They don't want to hear about my house moves. They don't want to hear Chris's opinions on self-determination theory. They want to hear tight-ass Tomo's 
tip of the day to find out how we can save money. But before we do that, Chris, have you got anything? I do, actually. If you, uh, I want to think about cars. I'm not a car man, particularly. I don't really, really understand cars. But I saw a brilliant tip about how to save money with your car. If you want to own a car which is a smooth, easy ride, low cost to insure, excellent visibility, especially at the rear, then why not buy a second-hand hearse? They are deemed low risk by the insurers, so the insurance is low, and they are very roomy with a surprisingly large boot. In fact, you could even use it to double up as a camper van and save money on holidays as well. Oh, I could do with one for all my trips to the tip that I'm making all the time. <laughs> no, <laughs> a... say, what have you got in the back there? <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing. You can buy second-hand hearses, and they're very low insurance. Yeah. Wow. How very interesting. Well, I've got one before we come on to Tomo, and my Titus Tomo tip is get old. And re- <laughs> get old and retire. Because I've recently, I mean, I'm completely retired because I will carry on doing my bits of working and bits of writing and bits of acting. But I've now qualified for my state pension. And, and, and last month, I got my first state pension payment. It was nearly 800 quid. And all right, I've paid into it over the years. But all of a sudden, I'm now getting given money for nothing. And it's absolutely wonderful. And alongside of that, because I'm kind of closing down my business, I'm now no longer having to pay my accountant and my bookkeeper. My life insurance policy was due to expire on retirement, so I'm no longer paying that out anymore. I've moved house with my partner, so therefore our living expenses are less than they were before. So for me, the joy of being a little bit older has saved me a huge amount of money. So my recommendation to everybody is get old. (laughs) Something that you have managed with a plum, if I may say. (laughs) Thank you very much. Right. Now, talking to somebody who is not old talking, at all. Talking about a plum, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a plum or a plum. Tomo, what have you got for us today? Um, yeah, my tip. Uh, should I? Yeah, I will admit this. I, I try and pretend I'm not really that tight. You know, I'll buy the round in a, in a pub, remember those, um, you know, and I'll spend money on my family. But this one really just shows my true colours. So I'm part of a whiskey club. And every month, um, you know, a couple of mates and me, we meet by Zoom with the pretense that it's about trying a new whiskey or, or a whiskey that we like. It's not at all. It's just to catch up and, and, and uh, you know, shoot the breeze, all of that. Anyway, it's my turn to choose. And my whiskey choice was a whiskey that I had already been bought as a gift, as a thank you for doing something. Um, which I forgot I'd actually sent a picture of to those two chaps to say, look what I got. Isn't this lovely? I'm really feel made up today. Somebody's bought me a lovely bottle of whiskey, one of my favourites. Two weeks later, I tell them to buy that bottle of whiskey for our whiskey night. And one of them quite rightly pulled me up on it. You tight git. You were given that as a gift and you've only decided that that's the whiskey choice because that means you don't have to pay for a whiskey bottle as well. So how about no pick another one? So, yeah, if you're <laughs> so going to... That's not so much a tip. It's more of a you being caught out, isn't it? Me really? being caught out. So if you're going to do tips such as re-gifting, you know, that whole idea that if you get a gift, you then re-gift it to someone else. Try to make sure that if you're going to do that, nobody knows that it was previously a gift. <laughs> is my tip. 
That is do it, but make Tomo sure you keep it secret. Love. That is exactly like the story that initiated this whole thread, which is about you persuading uh, Chris and Ian, your colleague at the time, to have a particular lunch because you had a free voucher for it. So well hey, done, Tobo. It's good the lunch know. was nice and it saved me some money. So what yeah. are you going to do about it? I quite like the idea of uh, going to a dinner party. Remember those days, dinner parties? Um, going to a dinner party and taking on a really rubbish bottle of wine, just putting a little note on, just like a dot on the label or something, and just see how long it takes to come back. <laughs> <laughs> That's not only tight, but mean. <laughs> right, okay, enough of this. Chris, why don't you introduce our subject for today? Okay, so regular listeners um, will know that one of the five planks of financial well-being is a clear path to identifiable objectives. Aha, now I'm going to prove that I have been listening to these podcasts over the years, because when you say objectives, you really mean intrinsic motivations. Isn't that right? Now, Tomo, remind us what that means. Intrinsic motivations. So an extrinsic motivation is something we do for others, such as status or fame or a deadline bit like your chaps who were uh, desperately trying to watch the football, David. Whereas intrinsic motivations are things we just do because we want to. Yeah, and achieving extrinsic motivations doesn't increase our well-being, whereas achieving intrinsic motivations does, yeah? I don't even think there's a point in me being here anymore, David. <laughs> you can have my job. I don't want your job, Tom. <laughs> I've just stopped working. I don't oh, fair enough. Job. But uh, you've explained it brilliantly. Okay. So if we get well-being from motivations, I thought it would be interesting to break down what motivations actually are. What are the circumstances needed for us to feel motivated? And what happens when those circumstances don't occur? This has particular relevance to major life decisions such as retirement or job changes. When I help people plan for their retirement, one thing I'm going to want to know is what will they be doing? How will they find meaning and purpose in their retirement? Until we know that, we can't really build a financial plan to get there. So let's have a look at what motivates us in more detail, and we'll start to understand how we generate those intrinsic motivations for ourselves and therefore create those clear paths to identifiable objectives. And this will be the self-determination theory that you mentioned at the start? That's right. So uh, have you guys come across this phrase before, self-determination theory? I haven't, no, I have to say. So it's a theory that's been around for many decades, but it's really accepted in psychology circles in the mid-80s with a book called Self-Determination and Intrinsic Motivation in Human Behaviour by psychologist Edward Decky, I think it's pronounced, and Richard Ryan. Now, look, a word of warning, I have seen that book, and it's a very academic text. To be honest, I've struggled to find anything about this subject which isn't really academic in nature. So it's also a very thick book and all the books I've looked at, I haven't managed to understand. So I really want to stress that we are not putting ourselves out here as experts in self-determination theory, but we're just taking the general principles and applying them to financial decisions. I like the way you say you've seen that book as opposed to you've read that <laughs> book. <laughs> oh, it's a bit thick and there were no pictures. <laughs> That's enough caveats. Get on and tell us what actually is this self-determination theory of which thou speakest. Okay, so self-determination theory says we are motivated to do something when three key elements are in place. Those three key elements are autonomy, competence, and relatedness. Okay, right. Okay, we're getting quite academic now, as you say. What does that actually mean? It means we'll get up and do something when we're making our own choices, autonomy, 
when we feel we're able to do the thing, competence, and when it involves helping or working with others, relatedness. Mm-hmm. I, I always think of sport as a really good example for this. Now, pre-children, I used to play a lot of rugby and did for many years. And that was a choice. So I got the autonomy. Competence, well, some would argue I had that. Some would argue I didn't, but I felt that I did. So I enjoyed doing it. Um, but the relatedness, actually doing it with teammates was probably the the biggest one for me. Having that camaraderie and doing something as a team always felt great. So I was I always liken it to sport is a good example for, for me personally. And actually, just coming back to the competence bit, you were playing at a level at which you could compete, weren't you? So you weren't going to try yeah. and play for uh, Gloucester or England. You were playing for your local club with people at the similar level to you. So therefore, that's how you had the competence. Correct, correct. Which was a half-decent level for the listeners out there, just to, you know, not, <laughs> not make myself look like a complete useless uh, useless yeah. tool, but there you go. I, I'm currently playing for our local club's third team, and uh, it's great because it's me uh, as a 54-year-old and the next oldest is 18. <laughs> well, Chris, I am playing with you in that team this Saturday. So, Brilliant. Uh, yeah, so we're going to have at least two slips. <laughs> fabulous, fabulous. But, but that, that's an interesting point that you make about sometimes it's about finding competence level. Your your competence level may change with time. It might get better. It might get worse. So maybe accepting that, um, you know, again, I play a lot golf now when I can a lot of golf that's a light I play when I can steal some time but the handicap system is great because you always feel as though you're a level of competence so yeah there's a point Chris you would have once played first team cricket yeah now yeah, your yeah. competence is probably better than thirds to well, your credit yeah. but the, the third team's hilarious and I'm thinking of writing a blog about it actually because the, the events are just so funny my favorite one recently being that we were playing in a ground which had been carved out of a wheat field literally the corner of the wheat field had been turned into a cricket pitch and the wheat was all around the boundary. Our captain told one of our 12-year-olds he had to go out and field on the boundary and he refused on the grounds that he had hay fever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, should we Love get it. back on topic? Sorry, yeah, I know. I could talk about that. That's far more interesting though, actually. Okay. Well, so for us three, but probably not our listeners. <laughs> so I, I, another example, let's put this in work terms. I had a job for about 18 months at a, a sales branch for a pension company. And one of the managers, if you did well with a contact, he would take them and put them under his name so he'd get all the work and all the bonuses from it. And it was a really miserable place to work, if I'm completely honest. I had competence. I knew what I was doing. I had relatedness because the other sales managers and colleagues were great. But I didn't have autonomy. I didn't have control over my situation. And therefore, it was a very unhappy time for me. Yeah, I had a very similar thing happen to me when I was a very young man, about, I think it was about 20, and I had a, I had a van driving job, and the, the boss just took against me, decided he didn't like me. So I was good at the job. I could drive. I got on well with the other guys in the place that we worked, but the boss just treated me appallingly. And, and again, I, I didn't have that autonomy. I didn't have, I didn't have his respect. And whatever I did, I couldn't earn it. And, and similarly, I was a very, very unhappy time. So this is interesting. Here's a lesson for any employers listening to this or any managers of people. Make sure that autonomy is provided in some way because you're very likely to have competent staff who want to work as a team, but try and give them that autonomy is the last piece of the jigsaw, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely, Tom. Absolutely. And the reason we've just laboured that a little bit maybe is because we want to just point out what happens when you don't have those three parts to self-determination theory. Not only are you not motivated, but you can have ill health, 
um, and you can feel pretty depressed, etc. Um, even lead to mental health issues. So that's why we've just touched on times when we haven't had those. So let's look at these three in a bit more detail then. So autonomy. This is the feeling that you're in control, right? That you are in charge of your own destiny, making your own decisions, that type of thing. Mm, I imagine it's also about living a life which is compatible with what you believe. You know, if you're doing a job that allows you to make decisions, but what the company actually does isn't aligned with your personal beliefs and purpose, then you're unlikely to be very motivated or happy for that matter. Yeah, exactly. So uh, matching personal motivations and company purpose, individual purpose and company purpose, is one of the things I talk about a lot when I'm helping owners with employee ownership, for example, in succession planning. It's a reason why achieving extrinsic motivation doesn't add to your well-being. If you're going to be rewarded for doing something with money, but the thing you are doing is not something that makes you proud, then you aren't going to get much well-being from doing it. Now, does that explain why bankers are paid so well, but nurses so poorly? Completely. Absolutely. The pay for jobs that deliver little in the way of purpose needs to be that much higher than jobs which deliver huge amounts of purpose. It also suggests that money isn't the only motivator when doing a job. Saying thank you or well done to someone when they've done a good job is going to give them high levels Mm. of autonomy, as well as competence and relatedness as it happens. Yeah, now that leads us nicely onto the second of the three elements of motivation, then competence which means being good at something, but it's a bit more than that. It's not just ability or talent. It's about being good enough at the thing that gives you purpose. You want to care about the thing and you want to be good at it, which means being at least competent enough to be able to control the outcome. And one of the five pillars of financial well-being is having control of daily finances. So that would suggest that competence is right at the heart of what we're talking about. It is. We want people to engage with their finances, but that means they need to feel competent to be able to control the outcome in order to be motivated to engage with their finances. Mm. I think this is probably one reason why people go to an expert, perhaps, you know, in this case, a financial planner. Competence doesn't need to just come from yourself. It can come from a combination of sources. You know, I'm not especially good at cooking, but I can follow a recipe so you know, put a cookbook in front of me and you know, I can make a competent meal, but I do need that external help. But with that, I feel competent. Yeah, similarly, I'm, I mean, I, I can cook without a recipe. And although I'm not an idiot when it comes to money, I don't want to be an expert, which is why I use Ovation as my financial planner. We've also got to remember that we deal with money decisions from a position of fear, something that Neil Bage talked about in a long-ago podcast. Do go back and listen to those because they are fabulous. Our brains aren't built to think about abstract notions such as money. So competence around money is actually very difficult to achieve. And that's why we are here. 77 episodes. <laughs> We've got these five pillars so that people have got a pathway to follow so that they can feel competent and therefore be more likely to get a handle on their relationship to money. And that pathway is in the Financial Wellbeing book. Which is actually specifically why I wrote it, so that people who couldn't afford an expert themselves still had some expertise, still had a guide to follow. Mm. Another interesting aspect of competence is that people will feel more motivated if they perceive that they are competent, which we can affect. If you give somebody a pat on the back or say, well done or thank you, this increases their intrinsic motivation because of their need for competence. Oh. Now, I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm just uh, just just going to touch on that, David. Mm. That might feel as though it's contradictory to the extrinsic because you're getting a pat on the back from somebody. That's not the reason you've done it. 
it just enhances that feeling of competence, which is intrinsic. What a fantastic point you make there, Tom, or an incredibly competent point you make there at exactly the right time. Well oh, done. Thank you. Thank you. I'm feeling an all manner of motivation right now. <laughs> and what about the third of these three parts to self-determination theory, relatedness? This is all about the issue that we are motivated by having a connectedness to others. It might be helping somebody else. It could be working with something somebody else or having a relationship to others in the thing that you're wanting to be motivated to do. And that fits in with everything we've covered over the last five years about the importance of the quality of social relationships to our overall well-being. Not only do social relationships make a big difference to our well-being, it turns out there's a big part of us wanting to do something in the first place. So let's put this to the test, this self-determination theory. We gave a few examples earlier where we did jobs where we were unhappy. David, can you think of a time when you were very happy doing a job that you really enjoyed? Did you have those three component parts of self-determination theory? Ultimately, I did. But do you know what? I talked about the van driving job that I did earlier. And through my late teens and early 20s, I, I wouldn't say I wasted my life, but I certainly didn't have any strong sense of motivation about what it was that I wanted to do. I didn't have any ambition. So I worked to earn money. So I would work as a van driver. I worked in a pub. I worked as a I worked herding cattle in a cattle market. I, I, I worked in a circus uh, I did various clerical and van driving jobs. I did all sorts of different things, but I was doing them so that I had enough money to live. And I, I, I know although there were aspects of some of those jobs that I enjoyed. Generally, I didn't enjoy them at all. And then in my mid-20s, I thought, this is ridiculous. I went to university to do a drama degree. That's when I discovered ambition. That's when I decided I wanted to be an actor and then subsequently a writer. And really, ever since then, I have to say, that I'm very happy in my work. You know, sometimes there are aspects of it that are, you know, less exciting. And it's interesting that you asked me that because I think the reason that I am generally very happy in my work is that I have all of those three things. You know, I have control over what I do. I do think I'm pretty good at what I do, and and I enjoy working with other people. So I've been very fortunate. I, some other people of my age who've been doing a job all their lives and have perhaps recently retired, they couldn't wait to retire. They couldn't wait to stop working because they were fed up with their jobs. I have to say, I'm looking forward to not having to work so much, but I also want to carry on working, not just for the benefits that the money will bring, but because I really enjoy it. So we're going to come back to that, actually. I think there's, there's another interesting aspect to what you've been talking about, David. But let's apply, let's see if we can apply the self-determination theory in other ways. Let's use it to encourage people to make financial plans. If people spend time working out what they would like to do in life that gives them autonomy, uses their skills and abilities, brings them into a community, they might see their future selves better, which would in turn encourage them to save more. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that community well-being, which is another aspect as well as social well-being that can give us a, a, a good boost. But let's get practical here uh, and apply self-determination theory to being motivated to save. Saving can give us autonomy. You know, that's because we become less reliant on others, whether that be partners, parents or a bank, you know, to fund our goals. You can feel competent because you've gained some control over your finances. Then the relatedness can come from knowing that you are on a clear path to achieving your intrinsic motivations, which 
often include spending time with others and the social elements that you have in your life and also that community well-being we touched on. You know, I can't stress enough that if you're really struggling to think about what do I want to do in the future, perhaps look at engaging with the community, maybe volunteer work, that sort of thing, and your social relationships is a great starting point because there are tons of evidence to show that that really can drive long-term happiness. And just to stress, when we talk about community, we do mean your local, literally, community, but we're also talking about uh, any form group of people is a community. So in, it could be the cricket club or rugby club, or it could be your local village or area. Yeah, now I've talked quite a bit about retirement in today's podcast, but Tomo touched on it earlier. So I imagine another place that, that we could apply this to, and I'd be very interested to hear more about this actually, would be retirement. Well, one of the things that I said we come back to this, um, you have in your retirement have joined the Paris Council. And the reason for that is because, you know, you have a lot of knowledge and expertise in a local area, a lot of intelligence and stuff to bring to it. So you have the competence. I don't know about the autonomy in a parish council. Maybe we need to bring Jackie Weaver in to make a comment on that one. Um, but you most definitely will get relatedness and community from it. So that's why you're doing that in retirement. We mentioned before an age concern survey a year or two ago, concluding that those who reported the highest levels of well-being in retirement were those who also said they were living a life of meaning and purpose. Intrinsic motivations are such a key part of financial well-being. So we want to consider what we will be doing in retirement, which will give us purpose and meaning and how we can ensure we have the autonomy, competence and relatedness to achieve that motivation, to create that motivation. So, look, retirement planning is about much more than just putting money into a pension or paying off a mortgage. Going into retirement can be a very, it's a strong word, but traumatic experience uh, for some, especially if you haven't planned for it. You know, in a career, you have a role to play. Perhaps people need you or look to you for advice and access to your expertise. You might have reached a position where you have a degree of control, autonomy over what you do. You know, you're seen as uh, to have knowledge and therefore competence. And you work with colleagues, so have the relatedness. Then you retire. And suddenly all of that is gone. How are you going to replace those connections, that role you performed and the respect you received? This is something that you should should really think about long in advance so that you know how much you need for a meaningful and fulfilling retirement. Chris, I'd love love you to tell us, I've heard it before, but about the uh, stained glass window maker. Yeah, so there's a guy we met at a local craft fair at Tinsfield National Trust place, Tinsfield House. And um, he made a stained glass window for us. And it's a beautiful thing in our kitchen door. And got chatting to him. And it turns out that he worked for a bank for many, many years. But he knew that what he really wanted to do was make stained glass windows. So that gave him a real focus to save so that he could give up his job at the bank, set up a studio at home, go to craft fest to pick up work and set up a little business making stained glass windows because that's what gave him creativity, purpose, meaning, etc. cetera. Uh, and he's really good as well. Lovely, lovely chap. So I always quote my stained glass window maker as if you can envisage what you want to do, it will help motivate you to save and to look after your finances. And I'll just add here, if you really are enjoying what you do for a living, don't think that just because the generation before you retired at 65, for example, that you have to? Absolutely. I'd just like to butt in there. That's that's the point I've talked about retiring because I've, you know, reached state pension age and 
however, I, I don't intend to stop work completely because I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I just want to put that out there. Retirement is a word that we all use because we're used to it. Perhaps it's the point that you're working because you want to, not because you have to. Um, so just being careful. If you've really got someone in your life that you're really enjoying, there's nothing wrong with continuing that. So we're not wanting to force people into stopping that work that gives them all those intrinsic motivations we talked about. But the secret to having a happy retirement, you know, other than not running out of money, is to have cracked self-determination. You're trying to find autonomy, competence or relatedness in the final chapter of your life can be tricky. However, you need to find it before and you're likely to set up, a, you know, if you do, you're likely to set up a fruitful retirement. You know, in fact, evidence shows the importance of self-determination in pre-retirement leading to a more fulfilled retirement. You know, this research, which comes from a study that will include a, a link for in the show notes, show that retirees had higher levels of intrinsic motivation from knowledge, stimulation and accomplishment rather than extrinsic activities. It also suggests that intrinsic motivation for both accomplishment and stimulation were positively related to satisfaction with retirement, you know, over and above other factors, even health. So I hope it's really stressing that we need to be finding things like autonomy, competence and relatedness to provide ourselves of a happy retirement, a secret to a happy retirement, perhaps, um, and ultimately a happy life. And as ever, while Chris and I waffle on about our own personal stories about golf and cricket, Tomo nails it and puts it in a nutshell. Well, I really enjoyed today's podcast, guys. I think we've covered a, a, a wide range of topics here. Uh, and I hope that uh, the people at home, or you may not be at home, you might be out and about, you might be in somebody else's home, but whoever's listening to this, I hope you've found something useful. And I hope you'll tune in again the next time we do one of our financial well-being podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. Thank you.